0: Thanks for listening to The Vines podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that.
1: Uh, The scripture today is Mark 14, 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer, the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Rochelle. I have been at The Vine now for about a year and a half. And like Fab said, we are still in our Moments with Jesus sermon series. This is week three. And as you can probably tell from the scripture reading, we are diving into the moment with Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, So last summer, around this time, I was given the opportunity to preach. And it was a really special time for me because I was very pregnant with my son, Lewin. And I was somehow able to stand up here for 30 minutes. And my feet didn't hurt. And I was able to talk nonstop for 30 minutes. And I didn't run out of breath. It was honestly a true miracle with where I was at with my pregnancy. Um, Lewin is my first baby. And since the moment I found out I was pregnant, my world has been completely rocked. Um, It has been a year or more than a year of surrender for me. And I'm not ashamed to say that I love to be in control. Um, I'm also not ashamed to say that I usually find out that most things are out of my control. And that's usually by being wrong, quite a lot, and it's humbling to say the least. There are truly a million things that I could have worried about when I found out I was pregnant, and even more things that I could worry about now that I have a baby. And what I realized is that the only way to move through all this worry is to surrender it all to God. Um, I'm not necessarily talking about, like, the let go and let God kind of surrender, although I literally did say those words as Lewin licked the airport floor about a month ago. Um, I'm talking about the kind of surrender that we see here with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an emotional, a raw, a freeing kind of surrender. To give a little context about where we are in the gospel before we jump into this moment, um, at this point, Jesus is in his final days. He's come back to Jerusalem, and over the course of a few days, he's been telling stories and preaching about um, his resurrection, the destruction of the temple, and the end times. And when it's finally Passover, Jesus sits at that big table with his 12 disciples. This is where he eats a meal with them, and he also finds out that um, Judas will betray him, and Peter will deny him. After the Passover meal is finished, he gets up, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John. And in this moment in Gethsemane is where we see Jesus actively surrendering his life and his death to God. And we really see his humanity highlighted in this moment. We see his physical agony that he's experiencing. It's this extreme kind of agony that he um, is feeling all over his body. The words Mark uses to describe this is greatly troubled, distressed, and very sorrowful. And as hard as it is to read this passage when you realize how, how um, just hard it is for Jesus, Um, we can realize that it's something that Jesus actually went through. And because of that, it's something that we can look to as an example of how to actively surrender in our life. So in this moment, I kind of see Jesus do three different things as he surrenders. And we're going to jump in and take a look. The first thing I see him do is he invites his friends in. The text says this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he even said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. About a month ago, I went to Mexico with my husband and Lewin, our baby, and to say that Lewin is wiggly would be an understatement. He is constantly moving. I think the only time he doesn't move is when he's sleeping. But even then, he's still wiggling. Um, so I was a little bit concerned about how he would do. We had a few different flights. And I was concerned about how he would do being confined to mine and Oliver's laps for the flights. For the most part, he did well. But there was one flight where he just wasn't having it. We tried everything. We sang to him. We fed him. We gave him all the toys. We even handed him our phones because we were so desperate, um, and nothing worked until he saw the woman behind us. She started making silly faces at him. He would reach his hand through. She would tickle it. She would kept him really entertained, but at some point, that also began to fail. She gave him her apple, like pulled it out of her bag and gave it to him. He gnawed on it for a little while and then obviously got tired of that until he realized the woman in front of us started doing the same thing. She was making silly faces at him. That kept him entertained for a while. When he got fussy, of course, again, she even offered to take him and look out the window with him. So for a while, she had him looking out the window Um, It was awesome, (laughs) and then he of course got tired of that. The woman across the aisle from us had a little stuffed animal, she was making silly faces at him, and even the guy diagonal from us handed us his phone with a kid's show on it for Lewin to watch. It was honestly the most incredible experience of community that I had ever experienced. And it got me really thinking about my life and how individualistic and lonely it can be. Oliver and I truly would have been a mess without those incredibly kind people on the plane helping to entertain Lewin. Um, But in our day-to-day lives, we feel like we have to do all the hard things on our own. And if we can't do it, then we're weak or we're failures. And I think I'm probably not alone in feeling that way. We're hesitant, and that's putting it pretty lightly, to ask for help or support from the people in our lives. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is at the hardest, lowest point of his life. And what does he do? He invites his friends in with him. He doesn't pretend like everything's okay. He doesn't say, it's okay, I've got this. He doesn't even say, like, it's hard, but God is good. He invites three of his friends in with him, and he doesn't hide the fact that he feels distressed or troubled. He he tells them how miserably sorrowful he is. He takes three of his friends with him so that they can support him, pray with him, hold him, watch out for him. And I imagine that every time he goes to pray, that he comes back to his friends because he needs them. He desperately needs their love and their encouragement. Letting go of control and surrendering to God in any situation is truly so hard, but it's especially hard when you're in a really challenging situation. Jesus knew he needed the support from his friends as he fully surrendered the next hours of his life to God. He needed to know that he wasn't alone. He needed to know that if he was giving up hope, he'd have people to encourage him, or when he was fearing the unknown, he'd have someone to hug him. God doesn't expect anything different from us today. I think, actually, we expect something different from us. Um, We expect to be able to go through these hard times and deal with them on our own. Maybe we invite God in, but mostly we just deal with them on our own. I personally have had kind of mysterious on-and-off health issues for the past 10 or so years. And about a year and a half ago, I was having a flare-up. And I was kind of spiraling. I was desperate to figure out what was going on and to heal myself. I was changing my diet. I was researching. um, And I was really needing to control the situation. Um, I was getting pretty obsessive over everything, but nothing was changing. And then one day, two of my closest friends um, were chatting with me and asked how they could be praying for me. And it all came pouring out. At this point, I hadn't let them in but when I did, it was so relieving. I no longer felt alone, but I felt supported and cared for. They offered to take time to pray for me. They helped me release control and fully surrender my health to God. And without them walking alongside me, I'm not sure I would have gotten to that point. I think I would have been stuck in that spiral of control, and I would have never been able to experience the true freedom of surrender. So whatever season you're in, Maybe you'll lean on your partner, or maybe you'll lean on your best friends, or people from your community group, or maybe the person you just met. Or maybe because um, your friends have failed you, you feel like you don't really have anyone to lean on, just like Jesus. Um, And if that's where you find yourself today, I wanna remind you of two things. First thing is that Jesus experienced the exact same thing. Jesus was desperate for his friend's support, And they totally failed him. They fell asleep every time he went back. Um, So he sees the pain that's associated with that. He sees and feels, he knows the feeling of your friends failing you. Um, And he is with you in that. He hurts with you in that. And the second thing I want to remind you of is that Jesus didn't give up. He kept going back to his friends. Why? Why? I think it's simply because that's how much he needed his support in this time. He just desperately needed the help from his friends. So wherever you find yourself, um, know there's no shame in needing the support of friends. It's the exact example Jesus is giving us here. The next thing we see Jesus do in this moment in Gethsemane is that he prays. Here's the text, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And whenever Jesus prays, I'm really reminded of his humanity. Just like us, he prays to connect with the Father and to lift his needs up to him. And in this particular situation, Jesus is faced with great sorrow and distress, knowing that his death is imminent. And the first thing he does is pray. This really stands out to me because it's something that I don't do. I find myself getting caught up in challenging situations, not knowing how to really connect with God. So I just don't pray. And actually, as I was kind of looking at this text, I realized that I had created some rules around prayer that, thank God, Jesus totally breaks in this passage. But let's walk through the rules that I've created, and then we'll see how Jesus breaks them. The first rule is go light on the feelings. You can talk about your feelings, but not like in a strong, emotive way. Each time you talk about your feelings, you need to make sure to resolve them with what's true of God. So first example, the example with this is, you know, I feel alone, but I know you're here with me, God. God. It's not untrue, but you're completely invalidating what you're feeling. The second rule that I created is God's will only. You need to be careful not to ask for something that's different than what God wants, because if you do that, then you're probably not truly aligned with God, and you're not in tune with what his will is. So it's best to probably just not ask for a specific outcome. Third rule, one and done. God gets annoyed if you pray for the same things over and over again, and if you do that, are you even truly surrendered? If you were actually surrendered to the Lord, then maybe you would probably just stop praying about it and trust God. Like I said, Jesus breaks all, our, breaks all my rules, um, and it's for the best. And what he shows us in his prayer in this story is actually really freeing. So the first rule that he breaks of mine, go light on the feelings, I imagine as Jesus is in this moment, and he falls on the ground and begins praying that he's overcome by all the emotions he's feeling. Hopeless, fearful, anxious, sorrowful. And I can't really imagine that he's able to hold it all in. I definitely wouldn't be able to. I feel like he must bring it up to God in this prayer, and we should feel the freedom around doing the same thing. We actually see something similar a lot in the Psalms when David is praying... um, prayers of surrender and so I wanted to pull up the first few verses of Psalm 13. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David holds absolutely nothing back. He's honest with God about his feelings. He says, God, I feel like you've left me, like you've forgotten me. And I can imagine at this point in the garden, Jesus is feeling really similarly. There's something in me that for the longest time was afraid to say things like this to God because I knew in my head that they weren't true. I know God doesn't leave us or forsake us. I know that he is always with us. But that doesn't mean that sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And that's valid. Lewin isn't talking yet, but when he does, I want him to feel the freedom to express all of his fears and anxieties to me. Why? Because I love him, and I deeply care about every single thing he's thinking and feeling, even if it's the farthest from the truth. The God who uniquely created you cares about the same things. He knit you in your mother's womb. He knew you before you existed on earth He sees the depths of you. He wants to know your deepest feelings, and he wants to meet your needs. So I encourage you, the next time you're praying, don't go light on your feelings. Tell God everything, and I promise he'll never get tired of it. The next rule Jesus breaks um, is God's will only. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Jesus, who, based on what I know about him, knew for certain that he would be crucified and killed, but he still asks for a different outcome. He begs God to take this cup from him. And it kind of doesn't really compute in my head. How could you know 100% what the outcome is going to be, but still pray for something different? Aren't you just supposed to want what God wants? And like, aren't you just supposed to fully surrender to his will? Jesus shows us in this prayer that yes, you can desire a very specific outcome and still be fully surrendered. All these years, I had been creating this false dichotomy in my head. Either you surrender to God's will, and that's that, or you beg God for a different outcome and your heart's desire. I told myself you can't have both, so I found myself praying a lot of prayers that just weren't completely honest. But as I've been in so many situations of surrender this past year, I find myself living in that gray space of being a human who's surrendering to God's will. I find myself praying like this a lot. God, please let Lewin sleep through the night. You know how sleep-deprived I am. And if Lewin isn't ready to sleep through the night, give me the strength and empathy to care for him when he wakes up at 2 a.m. Or, as I was feeling conflicted about going back to work full-time, God, you know my feelings. You know how hard it is for me to leave Lewin every day and how I'd love for a different job to work out. Until then, give me the energy to be fully present at work and fully present with Lewin. We all have deep desires, and we can share those with God. We can even beg God to meet those deep desires, and at the same time, we can surrender by asking for the endurance, the strength, the trust in God's will, the whatever you may need in order to keep going without that deep desire to be being met. The last rule of mind that Jesus breaks is one and done. Jesus literally prays the same prayer three times in this moment. And there could really be a plethora of reasons as to why he does this, but if we're looking at it through the lens of his humanity and this being an example of how to pray through surrender— I see it as Jesus's way of simply fully surrendering to God's will in the situation. We learn to surrender in new and different ways based on whatever we're going through. Some things are harder to surrender to God, some things feel easier, but each one comes with a learning curve because it's going against our natural human desire to control. When I first got pregnant, I was flooded with tons of fears around pretty much everything, but especially the health of the baby. I knew though that outside of doing or not doing the basic things that I was nearly completely out of control. So I started doing this every night. I would wash my face, brush my teeth, and then I would pull out my jar of lavender belly balm, rub it on my belly, and sing the song, I Surrender All. I'm going to spare you guys today and not sing it for you, (laughs) but the words to the chorus are, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I did this every single night of my pregnancy, and I had to because each moment presented a new fear and new things that I couldn't control, and I needed to remember to surrender every single day. About halfway through my pregnancy, I remember feeling so free. I remember feeling less consumed by all the fears and feeling like I didn't need to control everything. And I think Jesus is doing something really similar here. He was flooded with fear at every single moment in the garden, and he needed to continuously remember to surrender. And each time he surrendered, he felt it that much more. He believed it that much more. Jesus sets the example of needing to surrender over and over and over again because surrender and letting go of control is not natural to us. It's an incredibly difficult heart change. So feel the freedom when you are surrendering to say the same prayer over and over again as many times as you need, and I think you'll feel surrendered that much more. I imagine I'm not alone in creating rules around prayer, and I imagine some of you have probably done the same thing, created rules around how you think you should interact with God. If anything's coming up, I encourage you to see how Jesus shows us to live, how to live in relationship with God. Because what I see is that we're actually given the freedom to be our full, authentic selves. That's what God desires from us. The last thing we see Jesus do in the garden is believe God's will is good. And we're looking at the same text that we just looked at. Um, It's up here if you guys want to reference it. And this is where I really struggle with surrendering to God. It's easy to surrender until the thing you dread most happens. It's easy to surrender until it's been two years and you're still not pregnant. It's easy to surrender until you lose a loved one. It's easy to surrender until you find out something's wrong with your child. It's easy to surrender until you lose your job and you can't provide for your family anymore. It feels easy to surrender until the rubber actually hits the road. And in this moment with Jesus, we find him surrendering in the midst of knowing that his worst fear is about to be realized. But he doesn't really give us an explanation as to how or why he's able to move through that that tension. We do see, though, that he's able to admit that he knows all things are possible for God. He knows that God is able to right all the wrong, fix all the broken, heal all the sick. He's confident in God's power to make anything happen. We also see him referred to God as Abba Father, highlighting God's character as Father, a Father who loves his son deeply, will care for his son's needs, and give him all good things. Matthew 7, 9 through 11 talks about this. Here's the text. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Our Father God is a good Father who gives good gifts. This is the character that Jesus is surrendering to when he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. This is really hard to reconcile, though. God is able to make all things happen, and he's a good Father, but we know that doesn't mean that there aren't hard or evil things that we'll experience. And honestly, this is a really complex and challenging topic, and I'm sure there could be millions of sermons on this alone um, because there's just so much to cover with it. So I didn't want to totally skip over it, so I spent a little time looking looking into this and found an article on the C.S. Lewis Institute website where William Kynes says this. Though we can never give a full explanation of evil in this world, we do have God's response to it. At the end of this age, when Jesus comes again in glory, our God will show himself to be fully and completely just when he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The Bible reveals a God who is worthy of our trust even in the midst of our pain. I think Jesus is able to sit in this tension of this moment because he completely trusts who God is. He knows in the depths of his soul that God is good. God is actually that good, loving Father that we saw in Matthew 7. As Ken Geyer says in moments with the Savior, more than Jesus fears the cup, he loves the hand from which it comes. The only way Jesus could fully surrender to God was because he fully trusted and believed that God hates evil and that his will is good. And that's the same for us. The only way we can surrender to God in our lives is if we believe the same, if we believe that God is completely loving, exceptionally good, and fully trustworthy. I want to end today by reading a prayer from the book I just mentioned, Moments with the Savior, So if you want to close your eyes and open your hands in a posture of surrender. Dear man of sorrows, thank you for Gethsemane, for a place to go to when there's no place to go but God, for a place to pray and to cry and to find out who I really am underneath the rhetoric. I know that sometimes, somewhere, some type of Gethsemane awaits me, just as it did you, I know that someday a dark night will fall upon my soul, just as it did yours. But I shudder to think about it, about the darkness and the aloneness and the despair. Prepare me for that dark night, Lord. Prepare me now by helping me realize that although Gethsemane is is the most terrifying of places, it is also the most tranquil. The terror comes in realizing that I am not not in control of my life or of the lives of those I love the tranquility comes in realizing that you are. Help me when it is dark and I am alone and afraid. Help me to put my trembling hand in yours and trust you with my life and with the lives of those I love. Someday, I know I will wrestle with the circumstances that are beyond my control, that some sort of suffering will pin me to the cold, hard ground. When that happens, Lord Jesus, help me to realize that the victories of heaven are the defeats of the human soul and that my strength is not found in how, in how courageously I struggle, but in how completely I surrender. Amen.
1: We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.